Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we conclude our series, Stars, Lampstands, and Unusual Tomorrows. In this series, we've been directed by lead pastor David Fossil to look at the letters to the various churches mentioned in the book of Revelation. Join us today as Pastor Dave points us to the letter to the church at Laodicea and a message from God that challenges us to change the way we live. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. Grab the study guide that's in your program as you're turning there. You may have heard the story of the captain who's on the boat. And uh, late at night he grabs his binoculars and he looks out and he sees a faint light in the distance. And so he has his radio operator send a message. And the message very simply says, um, alter your course by 10 degrees. Well, immediately he gets a return message and it says, no, you alter your course by 10 degrees. And the captain's like, I don't like this. So he sends a second message, and the second message says, um, alter your course by 10 degrees. This is the captain. He gets a return message. Alter your course by 10 degrees. This is third-class seaman Jones. Well, he's getting kind of upset by now. He says, okay, this last message, this will fix it. Alter your course by 10 degrees. I am a battleship. The last message that he received back said this. Alter your course by 10 degrees. I am a lighthouse. This morning, we are continuing our series. Yeah, some of you over here are just getting it. You'll get it. That's all right. Um, we are reading, uh, looking at a series where the lighthouse of God's word, Jesus himself, sends a message to the churches of Asia Minor, the seven churches. And here's his message. I want you to alter your course. I want you to change directions. I want you to do something new. Now, I don't know about you, but for myself, over the last five to six weeks... As we've been going through this series, I have been encouraged and I have been challenged and at times I've been convicted because sometimes I see us in these passages and sometimes maybe not so much. But this morning we are wrapping up this series, okay, called Stars, Lampstands, and Unusual Tomorrows. Next week we start a brand new series called Broken, uh, where we're going to talk about dealing with the impossible and how to handle difficult people in your life. So I know not a lot of you have that, but just for the few of you that may have difficult people in your life, you want to be here, invite your friends, it's going to be good. Today we wrap up this series by looking at verse 14, Revelation chapter 3, the church of Laodicea, and here's what we read in verse 14. It says, to the angel or the pastor of the church of Laodicea, write, I'm going to give you a message, I want you to read it the next Sunday in church. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Now, in every single uh, um, message to the churches, Jesus is always introduced in a certain unique or different way. In this case, he is introduced as the words of the Amen. These are the words of the Amen. Now, we use that word Amen. We tack it on at the end of a prayer. We pray for, for lunch. Dear Jesus, thank you for this food. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, you know, every once in a while someone will say something and we'll go and we'll say amen to that, you know. But it's interesting that a lot of churchgoers don't necessarily know what the word amen means. The word amen literally means, okay, so be it. But when you add it to a prayer or you say it after the end of a prayer, what you're essentially doing is I agree with that prayer. I believe in that prayer. I want that prayer to happen, okay. So I could pray, dear God, Give us that building that we made an offer on. And you would say, amen. Amen. Uh, I I could say, dear God, help us reach this community for Christ. And you would say, amen. Amen. Uh, I I could pray, dear God, help us have our children grow up to be men and women that love Jesus. And you would say, 
I could pray, dear God, I want the Raiders to win the Super Bowl. And you would say? Tried to slip that in. Sorry, my bad. Don't boo at the pastor. Come on. Okay. (laughs) Now, when Jesus uses this phrase, he adds the definite article, the amen. And he he uses the same terminology. And he's basically saying, you know, uh, you don't have to hope this prayer for to, to come true because I am truth. What I say is a guarantee. You can take it to the bank. Okay, it's going to happen. In other words, because of that, sit up and pay attention. Sit up and pay attention because this is not just anybody talking. This is me, Jesus, the ruler of creation speaking. And he gives this message to this church in Laodicea. Now, every week I've tried to give you a little something about the city because understanding something about the city helps understand the passage. Now, in Asia Minor, if the city of Laodicea would have been brought up, immediately certain things would have come to mind. We have cities like that here in the States. If I say Las Vegas, we think casinos. If I say Chicago, we think Windy City. If I say Seattle, we think Starbucks and the Space Needle. There's something things that draw our attention. When they said Laodicea in those days, there were at least three things that popped into people's mind. One is its wealth. It was an incredibly wealthy city. It, it was the center of the banking industry of Asia Minor. Okay? See, this happens in, in our culture, too. Certain cities conjure up different images. Someone can say, I live in Pinole. I live in El Sobrani. I live in Richmond. I live in San Pablo. I live in, you know, Hercules Rodeo. I live in El Cerrito. That's pretty much us, right? More or less, San Pablo. But then if someone were to say, I live in Blackhawk, what would immediately that draw, make you think? Wealth. Now, that doesn't mean that they're wealthy, but the city, the name, draws that connotation. That was Laodicea. I'm from Laodicea. The first thought was, oh, man, that's a, that's a, that, they, they got a big-time cash there. The second thing they were known for is they had a high-end medical university there. There were several in Asia Minor. This was one of the top ones. It would be considered one of the, the Harvard They had a medical university. They were unique in that they had invented and copyrighted a special eye ointment or eye drops to help people with eye problems. Unique to the the medical university and Laodicea. The third thing they were known for is the clothing industry. Now, the reason for that is right outside of Laodicea, there was this valley called the Lycus Valley. And I don't understand everything. I read it. And, but basically, apparently because of the pasture there, the, 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 the sheep, when they would eat this grass, they would produce very thick, very glossy and shiny black wool. So they would take this wool and they would make high-end clothing that was very desirable and had a high demand in Asia Minor. So essentially, Laodicea was the Bank of America, Macy's Department Store, and Mayo Clinic all rolled up into one. So if you lived in Laodicea, that would be good. I like living in Laodicea. You may like living in the city. One small problem. It was not good, according to this passage, to be part of the church of Laodicea. And the reason for that is the very next verse that we read in verse 15 and verse 16. Here's what we read. He says, I know your deeds, which is not unique because Jesus has said that to almost every church. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. But because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, we are reading, if you picked up a Bible on the back table or what we have on the screen, is known as the New International Version. It's one of the translations, very good translation. But in this case, in verse 16, they're being incredibly kind. 
Because the Greek verb actually doesn't mean just to spit. It means to vomit. Jesus is about ready to vomit them out of his life. Whatever they've done, he is so disgusted with them, he's, he's going to make himself throw up. Do you know sometimes like when you have the flu or your kid has the flu, and they're like, oh, I feel horrible, and then you say this, just take your fingers, put them in the back of it, and make yourself throw up, and you'll feel better. We've all done it. Don't look at me like you haven't done it. We've all done that, right? And you're like, oh, I do feel better now, right? That's Jesus, which is an incredibly strange image to think of. Him leaning over the toilet bowl, sticking his fingers in his mouth, and saying, I can't wait to get rid of these people out of my life. But that is exactly what he's saying. He wants to vomit. I, I don't necessarily want to stay on this very long, but do you guys remember the last time you or you vomited or someone in your family or you saw someone? Maybe it was food poisoning. Maybe it was the flu. You know, I remember one of the most memorable People, you don't get this in other churches. You just get this at Bay Hill, vomiting stories. <laughs> I'm on a plane. And I get to the plane, and I realize, I'm like, oh, shoot. I don't have the window seat, which is where I like to sit the most. I don't have the aisle seat where I can stretch out my legs. I'm in the middle row, right in the middle, the worst place you can be. And I'm sitting there, and I look over at a guy sitting by himself at the window. And I remember thinking to myself, I, want, I, want, I wish I was that guy. I wish I was sitting right there. And then everybody else piled in, and someone sat by him, and people, you know, on either side locked me in, you know, and there I was. About an hour later, the heavier set gentleman sitting right next to window guy started doing this. No, I'm I'm fine. And then he went like this. He started going into that little where you, the pouch where you have all the magazines, started going like this, frantically looking for something. Guess what he was looking for? The little vomit bag. So he pulls that sucker out and he opens it up and he, yeah, no, I think I'll be all right. Yeah, and people are, are you all right, dude? Yeah, no. And then all of a sudden, yeah, right? And I looked over at the guy, the window guy. Remember the window guy? And he was like, oh! It was awesome. It gets better. It gets better. Because the stewardess came by and she goes, is there anything I could do for you? And he said this, I kid you not, can you get me another vomit bag because this one is full? (laughs) By the way, come early for donuts and coffee. We'd like to have you join us every Sunday for that. Now, here's the conclusion. I remember thinking at that very moment, looking at window guy, the exact opposite that I had thought an hour and a half earlier. And I remember thinking, I am so glad I'm not that guy. Because... Throwing up does something to us. In fact, some of you are like, please, move on. I got like 30 seconds left or, you know, I need to. But that's how Jesus feels about some of his churches and some of his own people. Now, if Jesus is going to use this language, I would suggest maybe we pay attention. What do you think? We make sure that we never, ever do whatever it is this church in Laodicea was doing. And here's what they were doing. Three things. First one, write it down. They were uninvolved. They were uninvolved. They were not helpful or contributing in any way. There's one thing that I left out about the city of Laodicea. I told you about their banking industry. I told you about their medical facility. I told you about their clothing industry. There was one other thing that the city of Laodicea was known for, and that is that they lacked a water supply. 
It was kind of like the city of Phoenix or city of Vegas. You know, if you're in a desert, you don't have a lot of water. They didn't have water. So they would get water from one of two places. There was, uh, there was Heropolis about 10 miles to the south of them. This was the best place to own a timeshare, to go on vacation, because they had natural hot springs. You've been to hot springs. You just, it's like sitting in a hot tub. Right? They had natural hot water. What do we use hot water for? We use it for bathing. We use it for washing. We use it for cooking sometimes. We use it for coffee. There's a lot of uses for hot water. Then, 10 miles to the north of Laodicea, you had Colossae, the city of Colossae. And Colossae had cool or cold water, well water. What do we use cold water for? Well, that's to drink. That's what we want to drink. When we're, when we're thirsty, we want cold water. Right? Now, that was the two sources of water for the city of Laodicea. There's one small problem. The only way they had to get to transport the water were aqueducts. So by the time the hot water from Herapolis arrived via aqueduct in Laodicea, it wasn't hot anymore. It was warm. By the time the cold water from Colossae arrived in Laodicea, it wasn't cold anymore. It was warm. In other words, it's worthless. They have got to repurpose it now. And so he draws on what they already know about their city. And he says, you know how you get water from, Her- from Herapolis? It's not warm anymore. It's just lukewarm. You get cold water from Colossae by the time it gets to you. It's lukewarm. And you know how disgusted you are with that lukewarm water? That's how I feel about you. Because you do nothing for my kingdom. You are uninvolved. You're not helpful. You don't contribute in any way. You know, this is like the contractor who's building a house and the electricians do their job. And the plumbers do their job, and the framers do their job, but the guys who put up the sheetrock, they don't do their job. Well, the whole project kind of comes to a halt. This is like an orchestra, you know? The, the, the oboe does his job, the guy on the drum does his job, the flutes do their job, but the violins, they don't want to play, they don't do their job. And everything kind of comes to a halt. This is like a football team, the quarterback does his job, the running back does his job, the wide receivers do his job, but someone on the team, let's just say, I don't know, you know, the kickoff guy doesn't do his job, and he turns the ball over and then fumbles in overtime. He doesn't do his job, you know. I'm sorry, is that too soon? I am so bad illustration. Can I be honest with you? I'm in West Africa, Liberia. I can get on the Internet every three days, dial up for about 15 minutes. And I'm in Liberia, and I think to myself, oh, my goodness, the Niners just played a couple days ago. I want to go online, ESPN, and see how half of my congregation is feeling today. So I went on and I read what happened, you know, and I'm not kidding now. I honestly felt horrible. For about 40 seconds, I felt horrible. Hey, for me, that's like Mother Teresa, okay? I got over it quickly, but I felt for you guys. Now, back to this text. That's why he's so upset. They're not involved. No one's doing, they're not participating. How do you get involved in the life of a church? There's three ways you help and you participate. Let's put them up on the screen. The first way is by giving financially, tithe and offerings. Historically, Bay Hills has been an incredibly generous church. I got to tell you, we get together with other pastors. We just did it about a, a, a week ago. And it's amazing. All the problems they bring up is, oh, we run out of money. We don't have any money. You know, I never bring that up as a request. We have been so blessed as a church. Having said that, some of you saw what I wrote the beginning of January. Um, in some respects, we are not that different than other churches. Typically in a church around this country and Bay Hills, about 20 to 25 to 30% of the people who are regular members and attenders of Bay Hills, almost 30%, 
gives statistically nothing. Nothing. Now, that's not literally nothing. It's kind of throwing in a few bucks when there's, the band does a good job or Dave has good stories during a sermon. Now, I've got to tell you something. In the last 17 years, this is the reason I don't look at the giving reports. I have every right to do that, by the way. Every right. In fact, sometimes there's a bank issue or the treasurer and financial secretary need something and I've got to go through and help them fix something. And, and, and when I've looked at the giving records... I always come away with the same, the same emotion, disappointment and discouragement every single time. So I don't look at them anymore. I can't do it. But honestly, the least of your worries is how your pastor feels about that. What I would suggest is maybe you consider how your Savior feels about that. And it makes him nauseous. This is not my language. This is his language. Another way you contribute is by volunteering. I prefer that word than serving because volunteering, everybody understands that word. We all know what it means to volunteer. To do something you don't get paid for, but you help out. That's what it is to volunteer. And sometimes you volunteer when something you're really good at, and sometimes you volunteer just because there's a need. You just help out. The other way is by praying for ministries, for staff, for the lost, for the building, whatever. I love it when someone comes up to me. Every once in a while I have someone come up to me and go, David, I pray for you every day i got to tell you, that is about as valuable to me as I can get. Now, in Laodicea, they're doing none of this. In the New Testament, we're told every believer is to do all of this. First thing, I, last thing I do before I leave the house every morning is I go to the, cup of, uh, the, to the coffee that we've brewed. I pour myself a cup in a travel mug. I go down to the office. For the next hour and a half, I sip my coffee like many of you do in the morning. And I work. Every once in a while, I forget to take that mug home with me. So the following morning, I have to get another travel mug. I fill my cup of coffee in. I go to the office, and I continue to work. And I put my coffee mug there, sip it for an hour and a half. But every once in a while, I get so consumed working that by accident, I reach over, and I grab yesterday's mug of coffee. Yeah. And you take a quick sip, and immediately, my reaction is to spit it out which is exactly how Jesus feels. He is so ticked off at this church. He's like, I'm putting my fingers in my mouth now because you are uninvolved and not helpful to my kingdom in the least. They have a couple other problems. They're prideful. They're financially and spiritually prideful. Look at verse 17. Jesus says to them, You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. This is, this is exactly, they were not only rich, they were cocky about it. In the year 60 AD, they suffered a major earthquake, devastating earthquake, right? And when they came time to rebuilding the city, they refused help, financial help from Rome. No, 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 we got this. We don't need your help. We got this all ourselves. We got it taken care of. We don't need your help. This is like the city of New Orleans refusing federal help after Katrina. That's the equivalent. We got this. We got this covered. They were financially prideful. They were prideful. Now, some of you are thinking, well, point number one, he got me. But this point, thank goodness, I don't have to worry about because it starts out by saying uh, I'm rich. And clearly I am not. I mean, if you've seen what I drive, I'm the guy, you know, two rows behind me, now they're rich. That's what I've heard, but not me. 
So thank goodness I'm, I'm, I'm out of the, you know, I don't have to worry about this one. Small problem with that thinking. Let me do a social experiment. See if this works. Just observe, pay attention. I got two $1 bills here. Okay, two $1 bills. I want to, I did this like four or five years ago. Let's see what happens here. I'm going to break this one up like this. Let's just see what happens. Observe carefully, very, very carefully what happens, okay? Okay, let's see what happens. Did did you guys see what happened? Did you see it? Did you guys see? Nothing. Did you see anyone dive? (laughs) In fact, right here, Becca in the first row was like, don't let that dollar bill touch me on one dollar bill. Can't even get a red box with a dollar bill anymore. Is anyone going to go home and post what just happened? Oh my goodness, you're not going to believe what happened in church today. The pastor was throwing money away. No one's going to do that. No one. You know why? Because two dollars mean nothing to us. Did you know that 50 Did you know that 53 out of 100 people in the world live on $2 a day? We can't even go to Starbucks for two bucks. That's what they live on their entire day. Just to be clear, we are from Laodicea. In the world's eyes, we are from Blackhawk. That's us. If you are on welfare in the United States of America, you are in the top 35% wealthiest people in the world. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Now, the problem with Laodicea is their financial pride had spilled over into spiritual pride. That's why in the second part of verse 17, he says this. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing, but you don't realize that you are wretched. You are pitiful. You are poor. You got the banking industry? No, you're poor. You're blind. You got that special eye drops? No, you're blind. You're naked. You got that special black clothing? No, you're naked. He's not talking about physical items here. He's talking spiritual issues. You are spiritually prideful. You essentially are saying, we don't need you, God. We got this church thing covered. No, we don't need you at youth group. We got it. We, we got it. We got it. Worship team? Nah, we we got it all covered. We're skilled. And they had become spiritually prideful. Incredibly dangerous. I I heard of uh, Muhammad Ali, possibly the greatest boxer of all time. He gets on a plane, just about ready to take off. Stewardess comes by and said, uh, excuse me, can you please buckle your seatbelt? Muhammad Ali says, Superman don't need no (laughs) seatbelt. And the stewardess responds, she goes, Superman don't need no airplane either. <laughs> Let's remember. <laughs> that was pretty quick, wasn't it? <laughs> she probably ran right after she said that. But. Let's not forget that in the book of Proverbs, God says, I hate seven things. One of them is pride. Pride. Thinking that we're all that. Thinking that we're self-sufficient. There was one other problem that they had, and that that's that they were distant from God. Relationally, they were not very close to Jesus. Verse 20 is possibly the most famous verse in this entire book. It's one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible. Verse 20 to this church. And he says this to them. 
Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door, the door of your life, the door of your soul, and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And I will eat with him, and he will eat with me. This emphasis is on, let's have a meal together. Let's go out for a burger together. Let's go to to Chevy's or Applebee's together. What's the big deal about this? Because in those days, having a meal with someone was a sign of relationship. It was a sign of friendship. There were no restaurants like we have in our day. You can go to a restaurant, you can be by yourself and have 40 people around you. You don't know them, but you're eating by... There's no such thing as that in those days. No. When you ate with someone, you knew them. You cared about them. I like you. I have a friendship with you. Which is why in Luke chapter 15, the Pharisees are so upset at Jesus because the whole chapter starts out and Jesus spent time with and ate with sinners. Well, we don't like that because Jesus, you're implying you like them and you care for them and you want a relationship and friendship with them. And Jesus was like, yeah, that was one of the biggest rubs with the Pharisees. But in this case, Jesus says much the same thing with us. I just, I want to spend time with you. I I want, I don't just want to be your savior. I want to be your friend. Some of you are really distant from me. I mean, you know that. Dave doesn't have to say that. It's not like we're super close. One of the best things about this whole whole passage is verse 19. Because I don't know about you, but it kind of feels like Jesus is getting in our face. But in verse 19, he says this, that those who I love, I rebuke and I discipline, so be earnest and repent. I'm not saying these things to rattle your chain. I'm saying this because I care for you. I really do. I, I love you. That's why I'm saying these things. So, so what do we do? What, what do we make sure, how, what do we do to make sure that Jesus that doesn't lose it with us? Doesn't want to vomit us out of his life. There's three things I want to encourage you to write this down. I'm going to wrap it up quick. First is serve somewhere, serve anywhere. I would hope that you would become a participant in your local church. I hope that you would start giving financially. I hope that you would start praying for the ministry of the church. And I hope that you would serve somewhere, anywhere. Why? Because when you serve, it makes the church better. It makes you better. It makes the ministry you serve in better. The people that are part of that ministry better. And here's the key for this passage. It makes Jesus' indigestion feel better. That's the point of this passage. Okay? So even if you got nothing out of it, it would still be worth doing it. Now, the fact that we saw that video early on, there is something to be said about serving. You do more, feel more apart. You do start to meet people. It's very interesting. One of the small things I've noticed, people who start serving, until they start serving, they always refer to Bay Hills as your church when they're talking to me. Your church, your church, your church. The minute they start serving, their language changes and they start calling it our church. It's just very interesting to me, one of the observations I've made. I'm going to make it very easy for you to apply this point if you want to. In your, in your program, grab this little sheet real quick. Just grab it real quick. I want to point it out to you. Right at the top, it says, volunteer, make a difference. And it says, please mark up to three ministry areas you would be interested in learning more about. You are not signing up for anything. You're just saying, I'm interested in it. And there's a bunch there that you could indicate. We don't want you to indicate more than one up to three at the most. If you're already serving, I, you know what I really want you to do? Just fold it up and don't fill it out. You're doing good. Just keep doing what you're doing. We're glad. But if you aren't, I don't care how young or old you are. I want you to consider filling this out and you do one of two things. You give it to any one of the pastors. 
you give it to any one of the ushers, or you go to the table at, in the entryway of the church that has this picture right above it. Kind of a Burger King theme. Serve your king. Because ultimately, serving and volunteering, you're not trying to serve Dave. It's serving Jesus. Fill this out, give it to Michelle at the table, and we'll try and help you. Somewhere, serve somewhere, serve anywhere. Second thing I want to encourage you to do is change your perspective on wealth. Change your perspective on wealth. Verse 18. Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. He's not talking literally, he's talking spiritually. And he's saying, you guys are getting caught up in all your financial wealth and and I'm all for financial wealth, but you have to realize that what is more valuable than financial wealth is spiritual wealth. That's what you should want more than anything else. Now, I think there's two fascinating things about this. One is how he starts. I counsel you. He takes a softer tone. You know what? Can I give you some advice? Can I give you a suggestion? Which is fascinating because at the beginning, he describes himself as the ruler of God's creation. So he could say, I command you. Not I counsel you. I command you. But he takes a softer tone. He says, can I just, can I give you some advice? Some of you are living for all the wrong things. I mean, there's all these verses, you know, that that if you're not careful, financial wealth can actually corrupt you spiritually. It is harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven than a rich man to go through the eye of a needle. Jesus says, "What, what good is it for you to gain the whole world and to lose your soul? Seek out spiritual wealth. I hope you get a lot of financial wealth. But if you have to choose, seek out Spiritual wealth. And then he says, I want you to buy it for me. Buy the gold or fine in the fire. Now, let's just be clear. You can't buy faith and you can't buy your salvation. We know that from other verses. He's using market terminology and he's saying, instead of going to those other vendors, come to me. I'm the one vendor that's got spiritual wealth. You can't get it anywhere else. Come to me. I just want you to tweak your perspective on wealth. And what is of ultimate value? The third thing that we can apply and we have our summary slide with this, is take a faith step closer to God. Take a faith step closer to God. In verse 20, there's two things I didn't point out to you. Jesus says in verse 20, here I am, and then right after that, there's an exclamation point. In other words, this is not just one of 40, 50 things God wants to do. No, here I am, exclamation point. I wish we could spend more time together. I'm I'm right here. And he says, here I am, I stand at the door of your life and at the door of your soul and I knock. Open the door. I I want to encourage each and every one of you to take a step. Why? Because that's what he says. He says in verse 20, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, if you have been able to hear past David this morning, and and you've identified some of God in this, If you've heard me, he says, take a step. Some of you may be miles from Jesus. You are are not ready to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You can take a step of faith this morning. For example, maybe you should pick up this book and start reading it. Everyone says it's, I don't know, inspired. You read it for yourself and check it out. Maybe you have questions about Jesus or God or whatever. Maybe you should sit down with me or someone else and ask those questions. Take a step. 
Some of you are one little bitty step away from accepting Christ as your Savior. In fact, in your brain and in your gut, you already know that he is who he said he is. He is the Savior who died on the cross for your sin and rose from the dead. But for some reason, you're holding out. Your step today is to embrace Christ as your Savior. For many of us, we already did that a long time ago, and we're over here in our relationship. But you too need to take a step. You could be closer to him. What's the one thing you need to do? Maybe you do need to start serving or praying or Bible study or tithing or witnessing or whatever. What's your one step? What's your one faith step? Because he's knocking. He says, I want to spend time with you. My grandma fossiled. Immigrated to the United States of America at age seven. She went through her family and her, um, the terrible, terrible uh, situation of World War I as Germany and Russia overlapped in that area. They almost didn't allow her into the country, interestingly enough, because she had an eye issue and an eye problem. But she came into this country, and um, I, I really never got to spend a lot of time with her because I grew up as a missionary kid in Spain. But Every once in a while, we would come back to Chicago, where they lived. And my parents would drop my sister and I off with her. And we'd spend a week or two while they traveled around and saw people. And there's a lot of things I remember about my grandma. One, she'd never throw anything away. She'd been through the, through the Depression. And if, you, if you've had folks that have gone through it, they're not throwing nothing away. Right? We're going to keep everything. Right? So she would repurpose all the leftovers, and it was pretty interesting. The other thing I remember about Grandma Fossil is that if I ever wasn't feeling good, she always had the same solution. Grandma, I have a headache. I have a migraine. Have a 7-Up. Grandma, I've got this rash. I've got this rash all over me. Have a 7-Up. Grandma, I think my appendix is going to explode. Have a 7-Up. It was always the same solution. I remember this one time, though. Um, I ate one or two more hot dogs than I should have. And I was feeling horrible. And I said to my grandma fossil, I, I think I'm going to throw up. And she said, have a 7-Up. Now, it's interesting that in that case, it worked. It, sometimes, you know, if you had a bad stomach, some Sprite or some 7-Up, it might help. But she, this morning is not about Grandma Fossil helping her grandson David with a nauseous stomach. This morning is about your Savior feeling like he has to throw up and you can do something about it. And it's that. I hope as a church ever, ever, it would be said of Bay Hills that Jesus just wants us out of his life. But the reality is that each of us individually as we've gone through this text, maybe we've identified, you know, there's at least that one thing that I could probably change. Make that change. Let's help Jesus feel a little better. Let's close in a word of prayer. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you're here today and your faith step is to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer right now in your heart. Dear Jesus, I believe that you were the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and proved that you were God by raising from the dead. And I will accept that sacrifice as payment for my sin. And from this day forward, I ask you to change and transform me however you see fit. From now on, God, I want to live for you. Father, for everyone that prayed that prayer, I thank you for that decision, that step that they made. 
Thank you that they took that faith step. But Father, help every one of us this morning take a faith step. Father, I I pray that every single one of us would be honest enough to admit that at times we have done things or not done things that have caused our Savior to be nauseous. I guess he just kind of raised the bar and made us realize how significant these items are. Father, frankly, if I was writing the book of Revelation... I would think things like big, horrible, gross sins should be in the list. Or maybe having a big theological mistake, that should be in the list. But the things that we read and we studied today seem so simple. Being involved in your work, eliminating pride from from our life and being humble, choosing to be close to to, to you. Those seem so simple, but when when we don't do those things, they bother you so much. Father, I want us to be a church. We all want to be a church that that you brag on and um, that you tell the angels about and your father about. Father, if we need to make a course correction, I pray that you'd make it clear and obvious, not just to the leaders, but to every one of us. Together, we could move forward pleasing you, being the kind of people that you're proud of. Thank you for what you've taught us so much in this series, how to be a church that honors you and follows your commands. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.